Thanks for listening to audio from Rockhaven Church. For more information on our ministry, please visit us at our website at www.rockhavenchurch.org. I'm excited to be here this morning and to share with you a particular chunk of Scripture, in part because I remember very distinctly uh, the first time that I looked at it and God brought it alive to my heart. It was a long time ago. It was before we ever knew about uh, the work that God was going to call us to into Granite Falls. But God has used this piece of Scripture profoundly in my life. And so I am, when I, when I opened it up and I heard where Joel had left off, I was like, yes, it's mine, I get to preach that. Uh, and, and then uh, I was reminded this week, uh, listening to another pastor, that as excited as I am about this particular chunk of Scripture, I need to slow my roll. And I need to, as I'm going to ask of you, read and look at this, maybe for the very first time. Some of you are familiar with this passage. You've seen it before. Uh, you know, others of you, it'll be the first time you've ever seen it. But whether it's the first time or you've seen it before, I, I think God has life lessons for us in, in today. In light of what he wants to do in and through our lives. And so, as we begin this time together, would you please pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you so very much. Again, as we have all morning, thank you for your word. And I thank you, Lord, for the gift that it is to us and, and your uh, personal speaking to our hearts. Lord, we're dependent upon your spirit to lead and guide our minds that we might be challenged and that we might be equipped, that we might be uh, convicted and that we might be transformed, uh, Lord, but that you would be about your work. And Lord, this specific group of people have set aside time to hear from you. Lord, I want to be on your page. And so help me to be a useful vessel. And Lord, lead and guide this time. And by your Spirit's power, speak to each and every one of us that we might know you and you alone are God and that you have a way about you and that yours to you belong the honor and glory and power now and forever. In Jesus' name, amen. I said to open up your Bibles to 1 Kings chapter 16. It's a little bit of a review in order to understand what is going to be, because of the sake of time, an an introduction to a character study on the prophet Elijah. That's what we're going to look at today. We're going to look at Elijah, we're going to study some things about him, uh, and we're going to see him here for, for a while. But in order to understand what God has done in Elijah and where he's placed in and this part of the story, we have to have a little bit of some background. Uh, I was surprised this week, and maybe many of you would be surprised as well, to, to, to see or to recognize how many times in the New Testament Elijah is mentioned. Okay, In James chapter 5, James records to the church, he says, and Elijah was a man who had a nature just like ours, who prayed, and it's reference to the story we're going to look at. In John chapter, or excuse me, in Luke chapter four, Jesus specifically mentions Elijah, and not only does he specifically mention Elijah, but he mentions specifically the story that we're going to look at today. And in the book of Romans, in Romans chapter uh, ten, excuse me, chapter eleven, Paul talks about Elijah, and he talks specifically about the accounts that we're going to begin today and look at in the weeks to come. And so, like I said, there are things that, that we can look at and say, wow, that's amazing, right? But what we want to do is we want to look at what God has done, and we want to glean then not only what he's done, but principally what he wants to 
since he's done these things, what is it that he wants to convey to us, and what difference does he want to make in our lives? And so we want to look at this story and at this account, and in order to understand it, put it into context, we're going to back up a little bit to see kind of what Joel wrapped up with last week. So look with me at the end of chapter 16, end of chapter 16, beginning in verse 29. In the 38th year of Asa, king of Judah. Now you guys are probably getting tired of this, and and trust me, it's not that we don't think you get it, it's just as pastors, we almost have to do this preachers to make sure we've got it straight in our mind. Remember, uh, the kingdom of Judah is the southern part, and the northern kingdom is Israel, right? And you're like, yes, I know that. Or, Fine, okay, well, thanks for going with me, because I need to just keep this in my mind. And so uh, Asa is the king in the southern kingdom, and in the northern kingdom is Ahab, the son of Omri, and he reigned over Israel and Samaria 22 years, okay? Thank you. And Ahab, the son of Omri, did evil in the sight of the Lord more than all who were before him. And you remember this theme that Joel looked at as he talked. He says, right? He said, and so-and-so was a king, and he did evil in the sight of the Lord, and he died. And his son was king, and he did evil in the sight of the Lord, and he died, right? And so back and forth with all of these kings in that flow choke. But as we look, uh, here's why I want to look at this. Look what he did in verse 31. As if it had been a light thing from him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat. He also took for his wife Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbaal, king of the Sidians, and went and served Baal and worshipped him. He erected an altar for Baal in the house of Baal, which he built in Samaria. And Ahab made an Asherah. Ahab did more to provoke the Lord, the God of Israel, to anger than all the kings of Israel who were before him. That's an awful legacy, right? Isn't that, that of all the things remembered of Ahab, it was, right? He is the singular worst king to provoke the anger. Right? Wouldn't that be a great reputation, right? How are you amongst your father's son? Oh, I'm the one that makes him the maddest, Right? No, we're not going to aspire for that. Okay. And what, what's going on, and I appreciate what Joel said last week, is as we look to the idolatry that we study in Scripture, nobody in this room was tempted to go to their wood shop and whittle out a little golden calf and then ascribe to it any power, worship it, or bow down to it or anything. I mean, we're like, we're all grown up. We don't do that kind of thing anymore. Ah, but we do. Idolatry in its forms today... I believe, can be surmised in two categories. And the two categories of idolatry that we battle today can be found in the idolatry of success and the idolatry of comfort. Our successes in our jobs, we might, we might sacrifice, make sacrifice, we might, we might run over other people to find success in our employment right? Uh, You say, well, I don't have a job. I'm a high school student. Great. But how about finding our value and our identity in our performance of sports and our success in any particular sport? They say, well, that's not really an idol. I just do that for hobby. No, I don't. It's the heart check that Joel was talking about last week to find out where indeed I find my value, where indeed I spend my time and my talent where I look for that longing of satisfaction that, that if I can just 
fill in the blank, then my life will be okay. And still some parents is like, oh no, not my kid. I'm not going to let them do that or I'm not going to do that, right? But, uh, and I certainly don't do it in my job. But, you know, when it comes to these things, sometimes we can live vicariously through our children and we can prop them up and teach them incidentally things about idolatry that we never intended to do, but nonetheless do in the pursuit of success in these things, which means what do we spend our time and money and what do we sacrifice of the good things of the Lord for something else? Same things in comfort. In the comforts of our lives, we'll pursue things, objects, possessions, substances, foods. All of those things can become idols in our lives. But God is calling us to himself. That's the theme we see over and over and over again in Scripture. Even though the nation of Israel, both north and south, are pursuing things other than the God who brought them to this country, this land, this fruitful bounty, a land flowing with milk and honey, a united kingdom. Remember, it's not so long ago, right, that David and Solomon, a united kingdom, a place of great peace, and all of these things, and out of that, they begin to pursue other gods that are not real gods at all, and give their time and their devotion and their hearts to them, and Ahab was so nasty in all of these things that he, like no other, provoked the anger of the Lord. God needed to do something incredible, and so he did. He brought Elijah. Look with me at 1 Kings chapter 17, verse 1. Now, and I, I'm sorry, I, I, read it, I read it to you just like I read it in my head, Okay? Ahab was so awful, and, and he just, he just, he torqued the wrench of the Lord so bad that something had to be done. Now, dun, 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 in comes Elijah, okay? Now, Elijah the Tishbite of Tish in Gilead said to Ahab, as the Lord, the God of Israel lives before whom I stand, there shall be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. Now, Elijah. As I said, this is kind of an introduction and a character study of Elijah. And as we go, we'll see more and more and more of these things. Now, I confess to you that this week, as I was looking at the introduction of Elijah into the story, I looked at other introductions of characters that we've begun to study. And you and I both know that oftentimes when you read about anybody being introduced into Scripture, it says, ah, and here next in the story we have John. And John is the son of David, and David the son of Fred. And they came from the land of Southern California, whatever, okay? So you have this genealogy that goes along with it. Not so with Elijah. It's like, all of a sudden, it's like, whoop, boom, dropped right in the middle of the story is Elijah. Where'd he come from? We don't know. He's a Tishbite. What's that mean? It means he's a traveler. Or they translate it, that he's a settler. He's a settler of settlers or a traveler of travelers. They get around a lot. Okay? So he's Tishbite. Boom. He shows up. Application life lesson number one. God does not care. Excuse me, that's not how I'm going to. In light of what God has done for us, whatever was true about your life in the past is in the past. It doesn't matter where you come from. It doesn't matter who your parents were. It doesn't matter what your mom did, your dad did, your grandma, your grandpa, 
what God wants to do is work with you personally. Personally. And our lives included in Jesus Christ are a new identity and a new accountability to live our lives in light of who he says we are and in light of what he wants us to do. All the other stuff is in the past. Behold, I make all things new, says the Lord. Life application number one. Now, Elijah, as he sees the rebellion of the entire country, he doesn't address uh, all of the other inhabitants of the land of Israel. He doesn't make little posters in social media and put out a tweet about what needs to change or happen. He goes straight up and right to the king. He goes right up to Ahab, and he says, Ahab, here's the deal. Now, interestingly enough, Ahab has aligned himself with Baal. Baal is the not, I mean, little G God, right? Little G God. He's not a real God at all. But Ahab has ascribed to him Baal, chosen Baal for his identity because Baal is the God of the weather. And the weather dictates then your success of your crops and your bounty, right? So Baal's a, that's a great option. Now, except, except it's no option at all. And then Elijah shows up, and this is what's interesting too. Elijah, you know what his name means? Over here is Ahab who says, my God is Baal. I've identified with Baal. He's the God of the weather. He's the best God to have. And then, dun, 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 in comes Elijah. And Elijah's name means this. Yahweh is my God. Boom, truth. That's how it goes. You say, well, Yahweh is my God. That's what his name means? Well, Yahweh is my God, or my God is Yahweh. You could <laughs> read it either way. Okay? It's like, oh, my God is the one true God. Okay? And then he says, and, and, and then again, life lesson application number two, this is what Elijah says. He said, as the Lord, the God of Israel, lives and before, before whom I stand. As the God of Israel lives. This is what I said before. Not only is his name mean, my God is Jehovah, but he's aligned his, or my God is Yahweh, or Jehovah. Take your pick, it doesn't matter. He knows the one true God. And he says he lives, right? And he's chosen to let that God create, that is where his identity is. As he lives, by which I stand, you know, boom. He gets his identity from the Lord, and his accountability is in the Lord. Does that make sense? And why does he say there will be no rain? Now, according to James chapter 5, we know that there was no rain for three years and six months. It's a long time. Long time. Three years and six months. Another time, another place, another sermon. We'll go through the whys of that. But the fact of the matter is, is that Elijah says, look, you've put your identity, your comforts, and your success in a false god named Baal, who you think is in charge of the weather. This is important for later, people. He says, but I'm going to tell you, I have the one true God, and the one true God is, right, the only God. There'll be no rain, right? We'll show you who the gods of all gods are. That's what Elijah's saying. Fantastic. Look with me as you go on and see what happens next. <clears throat> that's the proclamation. And then verse two, and then the word of the Lord came to him and said, depart from here and turn eastward and hide yourself by the brook of Cherith, which is east of the Jordan. You shall drink from the brook that I have commanded. Oh, excuse me. You shall drink from the brook. And I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. 
So he went and he did according to the word of the Lord. He went and lived by the brook of Cherith, that is east of the Jordan. And the ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening. And he drank from the brook. And after a while, the brook dried up because there had been no rain. (laughs) Make this profound statement, right? Thus saith the Lord, King Ahab, there shall be no rain. And Ahab's like, okay. Yeah. Now what do I do, Lord? Yeah, go, leave. Where's he go? To a quiet, secluded place. It's just him. God calls him to be alone. Why? Life lesson and application number two. Our identity comes from the Lord. Our satisfaction and our accountability to Him. He is the provider of those things. And as we live our lives, right, God is saying, I need you in light of those things to grow and to be obedient and to go and to be alone. I think one lesson that we could all grow in is our ability to spend some alone time with God. I think about Lamentations chapter 3, and in Lamentations chapter 3, it says, Yet this I recall to mind, and therefore I have hope. The Lord's loving kindness and mercies are new every morning, right? The Lord is good to those who seek him. It is good for a man to bear this yoke in his youth. It is good for him to sit alone and be silent. We can fill our lives with a bunch of busy work. We can fill our lives with a bunch of aspiration, dream, looking for all of the different things that would fill or tab, you know, diving in and, 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 and trying on some different things to different fear of people, fear of man, making sure we have our identity, our success, and our comforts, right? When we're alone, we have to believe and trust in who God says we are and what he'll provide and do for us. Interestingly enough, and for the sake of time, I don't have time to get into all of that, but God chooses ravens. He chooses ravens to supply the needs of the prophet. Ravens are an interesting bird. One, ravens are unclean creatures. That's what the Bible says. Ravens are unclean. Why? Because they like to eat dead things. That's what they do. Okay? A raven is a nasty little bird, not cute and cuddly like a dove. A raven would probably just as soon peck your eyes out as bring you anything. But God is using this bird, right, as a demonstration of his power, right, to do something completely unexpected. And by faith, Elijah participating is trusting that God would provide him with these things. Now, as God is providing him with these things, and like I said, it's going to open up the door to see things in the future, the stories, the different pieces that we will educate ourselves on that are practical, but God is using this unclean bird to provide for the needs of Elijah in very unique, powerful, special ways. And while he's there in the middle of his little campsite, he's watching the brook dry up. All right? Watching the brook dry up. And each life lesson number three, each and every one of us have watched the brook of success or comforts in our life dry up. I think about my secular employment. Uh, I spent uh, right out of college, right? All my jobs were in the field of agriculture. And I, I know this to be true, and any one of you, like, if you can correct me if you dare, right? But in agriculture, when things are great, you work the least and get paid the most, Right? But when things are not so great, you work the most and get paid the least. That's how things work in ag, 
okay? And, and that, I can remember watching the, the blessing kind of drop when things are very hard and there's temptations to dive in and to go and to do other things. It says in Scripture that Elijah has a, uh, a nature much like ours. I wonder if he was sitting there by his campsite, right? And, and I, I project to you that it's going to be two plus years, two and a half years of him going through this experience, being fed by the ravens and watching this brook. I see that because, like I said, in James it says three years, six months, and the rain's coming in chapter 18. So we don't have that far to go, all right? So it's real quick, short period of time here that we get this window of time that we look at. And that he's sitting here and he's watching these things up. And what did he say to King Ahab? He says, and it will not rain until I say so. That as he's watching the brook dry up, he's kind of thinking to himself, well, Lord, you gave me this power. And uh, the water's getting pretty shallow. And I'm getting really thirsty. And I don't know how long this is going to So what if we just let it rain right here where I live? How about that, you know? And maybe have some fun with that and kind of chase after some things, but he doesn't. He doesn't take the things entrusted to him by the Lord and use them for his own benefit or anything to the effort. He waits upon the Lord. The brook is drying up. Something needs to happen. And then in verse 8, he says, the word of the Lord came to him and said, arise, go to Zareph. Where, uh, which belongs to Sidon and dwell there. Interesting enough, it's a bit of an irony. He's telling, he's telling Elijah to go to the backyard of the country, right? He's going to go to the country of what and who will be your arch enemy. Jezebel. Do you remember what that was? And when we read that, that's why we read it in First uh, Kings 16, verse 31, that Jezebel, Jezebel was the daughter of Ithbel, king of the Sidians. Now go to Sidon. He is sending, God is sending Elijah right into the territory of Jezebel. And ladies and gentlemen, I will tell you as we go, Jezebel is of the devil. She is awful. We will look and read more about this in the future, but she is nasty. There's a reason why nobody names their young daughters Jezebel. Right? So, oh, what'd you name your little girl? Jezebel, what were you thinking? <laughs> Not cool. Okay, yep, she is not good. Uh, and we'll read more about that later. But God sends, God sends Elijah to, the, to, to this, this area, this Gentile countryside. This is what Jesus makes mention of in Luke chapter 4. We'll look at it another time in another place. But Elijah obeys, and he goes, and he dwells there. God says, I have commanded a widow there to feed you. So he rose and went to Zareph, and when he came to the gate of the city, behold, a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called to her and said, bring me a little water in a vessel that I may drink. This is desperate times, right? She is a widow. She is a widow with nothing. Widows were not noted in this time frame and community to having a lot of anything. She's, she's, she's without. Matter of fact, she doesn't even have a storehouse full of wood. She's gathering sticks to make supper, okay? And Elijah walks in, right? And if you ever question, if you ever question whether or not God commanded this widow to take care of it, look at the story. She's picking up sticks, and Elijah says, hey, could you give me a glass of water? Right? 
<laughs> what are you laughing at, Pat? It's true, right? And she goes and does it. She turns to go and do it, right? This is exactly how things work in my house when Tammy's doing a lot of work, right? And she's working and picking up and cleaning. And I'm like, hey, uh, you want to give me a glass of water? And she's like, oh, yes, for you? <laughs> you know? Yeah, so it, yeah, God commands her to take care of God's, you know, and, and this is her heart. She's willing to do that. She's willing to do that. But he takes it another step. He, says, as he watches her turn to go get some water in verse 12, uh, excuse me, in verse 11, and she was going to bring it. He called and said, and bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. And she said, as the Lord your God lives. Interesting. Interesting. She, she's confessed, she knows as a Gentile, right? And we'll look more at her next week when we get to it. But as the Lord, your God lives, I have nothing baked, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug, and that I am gathering a couple of sticks that I may go and prepare it for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. This is a desperate situation. And God is going to redeem it. Life application number, was anybody keeping track? Because I lost track of them. Oh, four. Somebody is keeping track of them. Okay. When the God of heaven who calls us unto himself to give us our identity and our accountability to him, when we are obedient, right, we will grow like learning to collect what we need daily from rape, right? Give us this day our daily bread, Lord, in all of these pieces. But God is equipping and growing us when we will let go of all other things for the benefit of being a blessing to others. God is going to, as he has called this, this widow to serve Elijah, God is going to use Elijah to bless her. And this beautiful picture of our allegiance to the one true God, choosing not to be satisfied in our success and comforts of anything other than who he says we are and what he wants to do in our lives, as we grow in our relationship with him, he will use us in the lives of other people to be a blessing too. Right? That's what God wants to do. And what we're going to look at next week is that blessing. But I'm out of time. Unless y'all want to stay. Did anybody bring uh, some loaves and a couple of fish? No. No, I couldn't divide it up anyway. But what we want to do, and I want to encourage you, is to spend some time this week in this chapter, making your own observations, looking to see what it is that God wants to do and work and change in you, so that we together, might grow to be a blessing to the communities of people who are hungry to know God's Word. All right? God bless you. Thank you very much for being here. If you have any questions, get a hold of us. Otherwise, we'll talk to you real soon. Have a good day.